I just saying thank you for being obedient, uh, Rich. Um, sometimes people say, you know, well, God honors your study. He does. He and uh, and sometimes we're like, well, I've heard people say, you know, well, if you study all in this direction, you got to trust that God was involved in that too. Yes, He was, but we also need to realize that sometimes God knows things that are going on in the crowd that we don't know. And he may be giving us a message. And so, Rich, the original message you had preached, maybe I'll invite you up and you can. No, you don't. You no, I just joke. But uh, when God is, is saying, you know, I know I know something that you don't know. I think it takes a lot of courage. It takes great faith to just say, OK, I'll do it. And when you do it and you find out that someone has a specific need in the crowd. Ah, man, you, what a building block to your faith. Amen. So I'm, I'm just thankful. You know, I had, I got to tell you, I had nothing to do with this mission trip. I came. It was all ready. They all went. I can't, I'm not taking it. There's no credit that I can take with anything to do with this. But but I tell you, when I came and I heard that they were going on this mission trip, and and I was just blessed. It, it says something about the heart of Wardenful Gospel Assembly. Amen. It says something about the heart of the people that went on this trip. And we're just going to take a moment right now to pray for Anita. Amen. She's uh, not feeling well. Uh, she's pain, pains in her stomach. She called last night. I know she wanted to be here. And Rich did an amazing job. God bless you. But let's just pray and pray that God would touch her right where she is. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that you heal. Lord, sometimes over here, oh God, in this side of <laughs> the Atlantic, Lord Jesus, I, I feel like sometimes we... we take for granted all the things that we have and we don't have the needs lord and we hear sometimes of of people in less fortunate areas getting healed and uh in more desperate times of their life getting healed lord jesus and so but i believe lord jesus that we need you we need your healing and lord i pray that we would be aware of our need of you and that you can touch and that you can heal Lord, the woman who reached through the crowd and grabbed out the Jesus, Lord, she was risking being stoned. She was unclean, according to the law. She could have been killed for making such a, a, a reach. But she reached out, she grabbed the hem of your garment, and you felt your power leave and enter into her. And so, Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit today, that Anita would feel the power of your healing touch in her body, and that we would hear a testimony of your healing hand on her life today. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that your gospel message travels. And, Lord, it spans time and it never becomes irrelevant. Thank you for the ministry, Lord, done by this team, O oh God. And we just pray, O oh God, that we would hear testimonies, Lord, in the future, as Rich said, Lord, of the dividends paid spiritually in the kingdom for you from this ministry. Lord, we just bless you today. Lord, I pray that you would also give me clarity of thought speech as I present your word today. Lord, I pray that you would help me to function in the anointing you placed on my life to do this. I pray that it would be received in our heart as worship today and applied to our life as worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is so good. I love hearing testimonies. I love hearing willing willing hearts, willing seeing willing vessels do what God has asked them to do. It takes courage. And uh, we're so thankful for that. We're going to look into Hebrews again. Um, 
I've decided to split this last sermon, Better Word, into two, into two sermons. And you're all going to be thankful for that, because otherwise it would have been one really long one. And so I just want today to talk to you a little bit from Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 18 down through 29. Just listen to these powerful words this morning. Beginning at verse 18 in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that can be that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Now we're going to get into this passage a little bit more next week, but to understand this passage, I think we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 4. And uh, we've got to revisit the context that's there. And we understand there's a story here between Cain and Abel. It's a story we're, we're very familiar with. And uh, when we get to Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve has been expelled from the Garden of Eden. Uh, they've been banished from the Garden of Eden. And the account picks up here with the birth of these two, uh, their first two sons, Cain and Abel. And I can only imagine the volumes that we would that would have been written if the full lives of some of these people have been written. Again, we, we find another story picked up at adulthood. And uh, even Jesus' life. You know, when you think about Jesus' life, uh, his public ministry started at 30. And we don't really have much recorded about Jesus before then. We, we have, you know, his birth. Uh, we have, of course, the whole prophetic uh, words of the Old Testament talking about his coming. But then we have uh, when he was 12 years old at the temple in Jerusalem, when he got left there, we hear about that. And even when he was two, when the wise men uh, showed up at his house when he was a, a toddler there. And there's also other apocryphal stories, but, but they're not part of what we call the canon, the scriptures. But we don't know. We don't know a whole lot about all these life stories. So just like that, we pick up Cain and Abel's story as it seems as adults. And these two brothers have become symbols through the generations of good and evil. And even today, many of us would understand what we mean by saying, oh, that's a story, that's a Cain and Abel story. It's a story about good and evil. It's a Cain and Abel scenario. 
And we see movies, we see things in society all the time about the evil brother against the not the, the good brother or, or vice versa and all these different things. And so when we look at these two characters, uh, I'm sure for most of you, it's a very familiar story, but we'll talk a little bit about the story for those of you who have never heard it before. But Cain uh, was the oldest brother and he worked the soil. He, he plowed the ground and he grew things. And uh, I kind of like that. I was joking around this morning. I actually brought in a couple plants from my house today to bring into my office. Bring a little green, bring a little life in. It's not weird. Don't act like it's weird. I like to grow things. I'm just joking. It's something I picked up during COVID, actually. Uh, I realized at COVID that, that uh, I don't work very well at home, so I'd work for two hours, and then I would do something. And one of those things that I started to do was plant plants. And I didn't drive my wife nuts with that, I promise. But uh, we've moved since we moved down here closer into the city, uh, we used to live in Aurora. We have a bit smaller place now, and the plants are taking up more room. And apparently, the Christmas tree is more important. So I decided to bring some of my plants to the church. That's a little extra story about my life that I didn't have planned to tell you today. But nothing wrong with working with the soil. We sometimes we think, you know, that the difference between Cain and Abel is that Cain, you know, brought fat portions of of his flock, brought sheep. You know, and when we read about the, the Old Testament law and we hear about the sacrifices, it was always, you know, fat portions of the first fruits, right? And so we think that it's because Abel raised livestock that, that he was better off, but it, it had nothing to do with what he was bringing, per se, like the actual item. But Cain worked the soil, and it says that he brought some of the fruits of the soil to offer to God. He brought some. There's nothing really spectacular about what he brought. And it says, the Lord did not look with favor on Cain's offering. And Cain's response was that his face was angry and downcast. Isn't it funny sometimes, when we know what God wants of us, we don't do it, but yet we still get our face all screwed up. We still get all downcast and angry when we haven't done what God has asked us to do. (laughs) And we know we haven't done what God has asked us to do, but we still get in some kind of way about it. And uh, Cain, we're sometimes really hard on Cain, but we get like that sometimes. We've got to realize that we get like that sometimes. And then we have Abel. Abel raised flocks, presumably sheep. You know, when we talk about flocks, that's kind of what we think about. But he also brought offerings to God, it says in verse 4 of chapter 4. But he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn. He brought his best. That's important here. And the Lord looked with favor on his offering. You can see the wedge between the brothers evolving, uh, but we need to understand that it was a wedge created by sin. Sometimes we can get in here and say, oh, God's playing favoritism. It's not favoritism. They both knew what God expected of them. It is clear from this passage that they both understood that. One lovingly fulfilled the expectations, and the other did so resentfully. Uh, I believe we see the theme of better word, or better words, as it were, right here in this account. I believe to understand what what God meant, that that his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, we have to go right back into this account and understand that he was speaking better words back then. He spoke a better word to Cain, and Cain didn't listen. Just listen to these questions. There's three questions that we find here that he posed uh, to Cain, and I think that it's important to understand them and understand the opportunity that is here for us today. The first question he asked Cain was, why are you angry? 
He did. He didn't give what was expected of him. He just brought some. We don't know if the, what he brought, the vegetables or the fruit, was rotten or if it was just some ordinary stuff. But he definitely didn't bring the best that he had to God. And uh, he got angry when God called him out on it, even though he knew what was expected of him. And God says, why are you angry? I don't know about you, but getting that question, you know, when you've done something, you know that God didn't want you to do, and God comes in and speaks to your spirit, says, why are you angry? Whew, that doesn't make me feel good. I don't know about you. He says, why are you angry? He goes on to explain to Cain in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Can you hear the redemptive plan of the Creator in this question? Why are you angry? Cain failed to recognize the opportunity in God's words for repentance. Instead, he invites his brother out into the field, somewhere secretive, as if God could not see, and killed him. And this is where we go to sin, isn't it? Secret. We go and we try to hide away as if God cannot see what we do. As if God does not know what we do. As if God does not know our very motives. And we try to go out into a field away from his mom and dad, away from everybody else, away from anybody who could look at him. And he knew what he was doing was wrong. He was looking for a secret place to do it. But Cain failed to recognize the opportunity of God's words for repentance. When God asked him, why are you angry? Cain could say, well, this is it, God. I, I need to explain something to you. This is how I feel. We can imagine how the conversation would have went if he'd have went the other way. Because we serve a gracious God. And he's not all doom and gloom in the Old Testament. He shows a lot of grace in the Old Testament. And if you read through the prophets, even when he's warning Israel about all their misgivings and all their failures, you see this word if all the time. If you do this, if you bow down, if you take down the high places, if you get rid of your idolatry, if you do these things, then I will accept you back. God just doesn't come in and wipe people out and do all these, you know, these punitive things just because he's an angry God. He gives you opportunity. He gives you words to respond to. Then we have this second question, the second opportunity given to Cain. God says, where's your brother Abel? Cain's made another mistake now. He's made the biggest mistake. He spilt his brother's blood out of jealousy, out of envy. He had another opportunity to tell the truth. He had another opportunity to repent. But Cain does not respond to the words of God again. Instead, Cain lies and says, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? If you're wondering if you're your brother's keeper this morning, yes, you are. You're your spiritual brother and sister's keeper. And you're your biological brothers and adopted brother and sisters keeper. You are. You should look out for each other. You should care for each other. You should care about each other's well-being. And so I, every time I read this, I want to yell this back at Cain. Yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. But of course, Cain, you know, claps back. He says, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, he, he gets claps back and gets defensive. Ever get busted and become defensive before? It's crazy, isn't it? 
when you know you're defensive and you know you're completely unjustified with being defensive because you actually got busted and you know you're guilty, but you clap back and you say, what? Well, you don't trust me? You don't do this? Oh, you don't believe me? I've been there. Said those words to my parents. I've said those words to teachers. I've said those people, the people, even when I know I shouldn't be saying it, but you get caught off guard and then all of a sudden comes out of your mouth and you're like, as soon as it comes out, you're like, oh. And then the next thing you know, you're asking for forgiveness. We get defensive. We want to clap back. Then we come to the third question. It's more rhetorical, but an opportunity nonetheless. God says, what have you done? He says, why are you angry? Gives him an opportunity to get out of his anger. Gives him an opportunity. He speaks better words into his life to give him an opportunity to get away from his sin. And then he says, where is your brother? Where's Abel? You know, he's already committed this sin, and now God is still saying, you know what, there's an opportunity here for you to tell the truth. Open your mouth and speak the truth. And he still doesn't. But now we get to the point, we get to the question that none of us want to get to. What have you done? We don't ever want to get to this point as a Christian, as a believer. To the point where it's like, what have you done? Because that's when the shame that I talked about a few weeks ago can come in and make you feel like, oh, I just changed who I am. That's how the enemy works. He wants you to think that once you've done the sin, once you've made the mistake, once you've, you, you've committed the sin, that there's no way out. And shame will come in and tell you that that sin is now who you are. And that is a lie. Guilt will tell you there's an opportunity for you here if you would just respond to the words that you hear. Guilt will tell you sometimes, or conviction will tell you that there's a way out of this. And it could be the Holy Spirit who's coming and bringing conviction in your life and telling you that there's a way out of this. Listen to my words. Listen to the better words that are calling you out of this sin. But shame will come in and tell you that you are this. Shame will come in and tell Cain that you are a murderer and there's no way out. Still, God's asking him questions. What have you done? When it says in Hebrews that as believers, we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, it is important to understand that God's redemptive plan was in his words millennia before. God was speaking better words to Israel and to the people of Israel, and to those he had created long before his blood spoke a better word for them. It didn't mean that they didn't need Christ's blood. We did. That's why Jesus came. But the signs of, of the truth, the signs of redemption were there. God was calling us by his words even back then. Cain could not hear the redemptive opportunity posed in God's in- inquiry. Because sin was not just creeping at his door. Cain swung the door wide open and let sin in, gave sin an honored seat in his heart, and told it to kick back and relax. And we get caught doing that sometimes too. Sometimes we think, you know, we begin to gauge sins. If I let this sin into my life, it's not so bad. You can come in and relax. If I let this sin in my life, oh, that one's not too bad. As long as I'm not doing this sin, because that sin is really bad. And I don't know about you, but being part of the evangelical church, I've seen, you know, we, we say that sin is sin is sin, but sometimes we don't act like sin is sin is sin, do we? And we look people at people who commit this sin, and we 
in our mind, that sin is much worse. And I've seen people, you know, excluded from the family of God because of this sin, but not because of this sin and that sin. And I understand we have to have standards. I'm not speaking against our standards, but there is no standard to which we give grace. There is no standard to which we extend mercy. There is no standard to, to the amount that we can say, yes, there is you know, reconciliation. There is a way back from here. There are, is a better word that God can speak and bring people back home. Ever notice how pushy sin is? But you know what? In society today, sin doesn't need to be that pushy. Sin is more sneaky than it is pushy. It slips into your home. It slips into your heart. It does things in there. It gets comfortable and makes you feel comfortable with it being there. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is always crouching at I'm not saying this to be, you got nothing to be, if you got to Jesus Christ, if, you, if you've accepted the better word spoken by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later and next week, but... If you've accepted the better word that Jesus has spoken over your life today, you have nothing to fear. But it doesn't mean that we still don't keep an eye out for pushy sin trying to get into our lives. We think we can allow a little sin in to tuck its way into the corner. But before long, it takes over like black mold. I remember one time, in case you didn't know, when you become a pastor, you become an expert mover. Um, I've moved in my pastoral ministry in the 20 plus years, probably 30 or 40 people. I don't know. You know, people call, they want help moving. And so, you can, you know, you help them, you go. And uh, I remember this guy called and said, I want to help. Can you come help me move a couch and a chair out of my, out of my apartment? And I said, sure, why not? And I walk up to the apartment. And as I walk into the apartment, I'm like, <clears throat> I couldn't breathe. The apartment was so full of black mold and he's standing there and it's not affecting him at all. And I'm trying to pick up the couch and I'm like, <clears throat> I literally go out the door, out of the building. And I had to talk to the guy and tell him, it's like, you need to talk to your landlord. This is not safe. <clears throat> but he had learned how to breathe in there. Certain breathing <laughs> problems that he had became normal in his life. I'm like, the things you're dealing with, this is not normal. And I'm telling you that I'm coming to you now and I'm making you aware that this is not normal. You should not be living in this. I'm going to tell you sometimes the Spirit of God is going to come to you and He's going to use people sometimes to come to you and tell you that the sin that's in your life is not normal. You've learned how to breathe it in, but you don't realize it's killing you. Sin is crouching at your door. You've let it in. You've given it a recliner. You got brought it a drink and told it to be comfortable. You don't even realize it's here anymore. You know you've learned how to breathe this death in. I love how the Spirit of God, the word in, in Hebrew, ruach, and the word in, in the New Testament, pneumas, it means breath. I'm telling you, if you're breathing Him in, and you're breathing him out. Even the word Yahweh is, is really it's a, a representation of breath. Yahweh. You breathe him in. You breathe him out. You take him into your spirit. When you feel him, you feel yourself with him. There's no room for the other things. 
And I'm going to tell you, I do not want to become desensitized to sin. I do not want it to come in. I don't want to get used to breathing it in. I don't want to get used to it being part of my atmosphere. I want to get used to Jesus being filling my atmosphere. I want to get used to taking in that better word every day of my life. Cain could have been truthful. We need to understand this. There was a choice to respond or not to respond to God's word. Cain had the opportunity, but sin crept at his door. He was told by God himself that if you're not careful, sin is crouching at your door. The God of all creation came and warned him specifically. And you need to understand that when the Spirit speaks to you, it is the God of all creation. We kind of separate these things. We hear about the audible voice of God, and we feel the presence of God today, and we separate these things. Oh, they're different. Well, there is a difference to them, but the same God is speaking to you through the power of the Holy Spirit today when He's speaking to you with conviction, and He's speaking to you with opportunity, and He's speaking a better word into your life. Cain could have been truthful with God. God would have been gracious, but even back then, pre-Abraham, pre-Isaac, pre-Jacob, pre-Moses, pre-law. This was still a heart issue. Even back then, even with Cain and Abel, it was still a heart issue. It always has been about the heart. And this is what we're getting at when we look at this, this, this epistle of Hebrews. we got to understand that he's speaking to the Jewish Christians. And he's telling them, you know, don't go back to the way things were. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to thinking that you can earn everything yourself. To go back to the system that tells you you got to do this, 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 this if you want to be saved. Stay here and breathe in the word of God. Stay here and accept the better word that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. Stay here and understand that the Spirit can speak to you. This is what he's saying to them in Hebrews. He says, stay here. Just listen to how he communicates. It's all across the epistle of Hebrews. Let's begin at verse 3, chapter 3, verse 8 in Hebrews. It says, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Chapter 3, verse 10, he says, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. Hebrews 3, 12, he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a simple, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Verse 15, same chapter, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Chapter 4, verse 7, it says, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the... Chapter 8, verse 10, you didn't think I was done yet, did you? Chapter 8, verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their... 
I will be their God, and they will be my people. Chapter 10, verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We come into chapter 12, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Chapter 12, verse 5, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. And chapter 13, verse 9, it says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so, it has always been a better hearts. Hebrews is talking about a better priest, a better covenant, a better leader, a better word for you today. That reminds you that it's not about what you do. It's not about how good you think you can be. It is about a heart devoted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. A heart that inspires you to give the best that you have to him. The best of your efforts. The best of your resources. The best to your family. When you give the best you have to him, you give the best to who you were meant to be. God spoke to Cain in verse 10, going back to Genesis 4 again. He says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God was speaking a better word to Cain, but Cain did not listen. He could not understand the gravity of his error. Instead, the words that were spoken by Cain were lies, judgment, retribution, vengeance, hate, selfishness. They were not words of one who loved anyone but themselves. And this is where the enemy comes in and he uses pride. And he makes you feel like you're better than someone else. That you deserve better. That people should see you differently. The lies come in through pride. Cain's heart was not in his sacrifice. And he did not offer to God from a place of love, but rather compulsion. And sometimes, you know, we can get caught. You know, I got to get up and go to church on Sunday. I got to do it. This is what I, this is my weekly thing. I got to do it. Man, I want you to wake up on Sunday excited to get here. I don't want you to get up on Sunday thinking, oh, I wonder how long he's going to ramble on today. (laughs) How long am I going to ramble on today? I don't want you to feel like you've got to be, you've got to be here, man. I, I want you to get up and want to run the church. I want you to be excited to be with your brothers and sisters. I want you to be excited because before you've got here, you've counted the blessings of this past week in your life. And you're saying that you're aware of his presence in your life every day, not just Sunday, but between the Sundays. When you come to church, 
conscious of who he is. When you come to church understanding that he has spoken a better word in your life and he speaks it every day, that you wake up and you want to hear that word every day. You want to feel his presence every day. You want to breathe him in every day. You want to take him in every day. You want to understand that it's not about what I do today, Lord Jesus. It's about how I serve you. And so, God, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to decide to give you the fat portions of my day. I'm going to give you the first fruits. When I wake up this morning, I woke up and I sat on the edge of my bed and I said, Jesus, this day is yours. Got myself in the habit of that before I let my feet touch the floor. I wake up and I speak his name. I say, Jesus. Because I don't know if you're like me. I don't wake up feeling like praising Jesus every day. <gasps> Pastor, really? I don't. Some days I wake up and feel like I need to have a pity party for myself. Other days I wake up and think about all that I got to do and I'm not focusing on him first. And you know what? Everything that I had to do that day feels it. He speaks a better word. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Listen to this. We come back into Hebrews again. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. This marks the difference between the old and the new covenant. The message that the author of Hebrews was communicating all through this letter is that vengeance and retribution, an eye for an eye, us trying to balance the scales of cosmic justice by ourselves just does not work. This is why the sacrificial system was put in place. But the lifeblood, say lifeblood, Lifeblood, say it again. Some people don't like to talk about blood in church. People will say, oh, you know, why we got to talk about blood? People don't understand blood. Listen to me. When I say the word blood and I talk about the blood of Jesus, I'm talking about the life of Jesus. We're talking about his lifeblood. When Abel's blood was spilt, his life spoke to Jesus. His life spoke to his creator and told him, Something has happened here. This is why the sacrificialism was put in place. But the lifeblood of the sacrifices offered in the Old Testament by the Old Testament priests sufficed for a time to restrain the wrath of God. But the lifeblood that speaks a better word for you and me today, the lifeblood of Christ offered by our perfect eternal priest, satisfied the wrath of God for eternity. When the blood of Abel was spilt, it solved none of Cain's issues. And you'll find that in your life. Vengeance doesn't make you feel better. Retribution gives you more problems. When you become judge, jury, and in, in Cain's account executioner, you create more problems. You don't just have sin crashing out of your door. You've let them into your house. you let them into your heart. You've given them a recliner. You've kicked his feet up and told him to feel at home. The enemy has no right having any real estate in your life. 
this is the same today. We can do all that we want to do to try and deal with the sin in our hearts. We can try to do it. I've talked to people who have done all the things. They've given to even Christian mission trips. They, they, they've given to church. I give to church all the time as if that's all God requires. I do this. I help this person. I'm one of the only people who holds the door open for people. I do all these things. You know, God is not going to leave me out of heaven. God is not going to... It's not about God leaving people out of heaven. That's not what it's about. You think God wants to shut the door on anybody? It's about an invitation. It's about a better way. It's about a better word. It's about the fact that the Creator just might have some clue what your life needs more than we know. And we think about it as if God is picking and choosing. Oh, you go to hell, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven. No, he's saying, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave all the people. He gave all the people his son. His lifeblood was spilled for all the people. For all to come. And he's calling out to you. And you know what? I've seen people and I've known people who have taken their life. Because they tried to find hope. And they couldn't find it. And they didn't lack things. We hear about it all the time. People, you know, you know, think they can buy, think they can get, think they can do. They can do all this and it will bring the fulfillment that they need. But there's still this hole in their heart. Because Jesus spoke eternity to your heart before you were created. can't do all this. We cannot earn our own salvation. We cannot take care of sin ourselves. We can give to great causes. We can trust stuff like karma. What goes around comes around, right? The universe will take care of it. Oh, if I hear that again. Why is it better to say the universe, the mystical universe, is better to say than that God is the perfect judge. I don't understand why that's better. The only reason that people say universe is because they don't want the accountability that comes with the big, big God. Oh, did I touch something there today? Karma's a lie. We have something in Scripture that says, you know, that you reap what you sow, and that's the truth. But we believe things. We believe things. We believe that we... You know, we can try and deal with these things ourselves. That we, if we give to great causes and we do great things and we trust stuff like karma, we can desensitize ourselves to the world's condition and the sin that is crouching at our door of our hearts, or we can ignore the path of Cain and listen to the better words of Christ. Where Abel's blood cried out for justice, retribution, and vengeance, Jesus' blood spoke grace, spoke mercy. I spoke pardon and I spoke freedom. So today, you know, we still have the same choice. We can listen to the voice of vengeance. We can listen to the voice of justice or our own justice. We can listen to 
the world that tells us, you know, eye for an eye, that go get your retribution, go get what's yours. We can listen to all these things or we can accept the grace of God and say, that says, I got that. Don't worry about it. We can accept the mercy of God which says that I see your sin, but I've given you pardon for that sin. Grace, you know, is the free gift of eternal life. Grace is the, the gift of Jesus Christ in our life. It's what we didn't deserve, but mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And God comes in and he says, I can pardon you. I have pardoned you. Just breathe that in for a moment and take that in. I'm going to tell you, if you understand that he is our grace, he is our mercy, he is the only perfect judge. And if we leave our unforgiveness at our unforgiveness at his feet. We leave the grudges that we hold at his feet. We leave the anger that we have against brothers and sisters sometimes at his feet. We leave it there. And we let it wash. Let it be washed clean because his blood spoke a better word for you. We act like these things are just outside the church problems, but we have squabbles in church, don't we? been a pastor for 20 years. I've seen a few. Let the grace of God, let the mercy of God wash over you today. Let the word of God, the blood that speaks a better word for you, let it speak to your heart. Let the Holy Spirit remind you of that better word that Jesus is better in every way. I'm excited to to get into this passage next week in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about fear talks about the no need for fear anymore talks about the boldness of our approach into his heavenly throne room man I'm excited about it I want you to get up next week and be excited to come to church amen I want you to get up come into this church rejoicing because I'm going to tell you that when we talk about our cup overflowing we think about it in church you know when we come in the altar my cup's overflowing no your cup is supposed to overflow out there And it overflows because of the better word, because of the encouragement that we give to each other. It overflows because we're full of thanks, forgiveness, and and, and I'm making up words now. We're full of thanksgiving. We're full of, of grace and mercy. And that is different than what you see when you walk out those doors. Grace and mercy are not common. Thankfulness is not common. Let's make it common. Amen? Father, thank you for this word, Lord Jesus. We're going to press pause right here, and we'll pick it up again next week, Lord Jesus. But there's enough in this passage today, oh God, that can call us to your side, Lord Jesus. can remind us, oh God, of the dangers of sin the dangers of vengeance and the dangers of of believing lies, Lord. Believing words that are not from you. And Lord, when we look at this Old Testament passage, we realize that back then you were still speaking a better word. Give us ears to hear. Give us the ability to accept the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us the ability to realize, Lord Jesus, that grace and mercy. 
will guard us, cover us. But Lord, when we try to do it ourselves, if we believe the word outside of you, Lord Jesus, that tells us that we can figure it out ourselves, oh God, we're going to be wandering, lost. We love you, Jesus. You are better in every way. So Father, we're just going to worship together, Lord, with song, and I pray that our praises would reach your throne room, Lord Jesus, as a memorial offering before you, O God, and that you would be honored, you would be glorified. Lord, your word tells us that your love is better than life. I pray that we would feel that today, O God, as we worship together in unity. Lord, we love you. Seal this word in our heart this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just worship together for a few moments before we leave.